Hello, and welcome to Creepy Core and Folklore, the show about creatures, encounters, old tales, and myths. I'm your host, Iona Wayland, a dark fantasy author, mental health professional, and overall curious person. I want to join other spooky souls and hear about these unusual stories. Hello, spooky soul, and welcome back to Creepy Court and Folklore. This is episode 23, where we're going to talk about Kwanzaa. This is such a cool celebration that I think a lot of people don't know about. It also started in the U.S., even though it's definitely traveled to different countries and been accepted and celebrated in different countries. Um, And we'll get into more as to where it comes from and why that is. But it was really neat to be able to look more stuff up about it. I didn't realize that it's a more recent holiday, which still doesn't take away its merit because you'll see um, its symbolism is so incredible. But it's it was also interesting to look at how it's become more it's become less and then more and then less and then more popular depending on what's going on in the world or the culture at the time and people use this as a way to connect with each other so i can't wait to tell you about it so this is a week-long celebration of black culture and heritage and it's specifically because um many black folks in the u.s often don't have their history. Um, It was taken from them when they were forced into a slave trade. And because of this, it kind of over the generations, it has taken away their culture. And then also, um, there were many who were persecuted for um, or judged for having a culture that was not assimilated to where they were being owned or kept. So this was a way to commemorate ancestors and roots of self, even if the only um, background that they have is being black. So just to give a little bit more information um, to show the nuances of what I'm talking about, um, I come from a first generation Caribbean, Latino, Latina, Latinx, American perspective. I'm first gen. I'm very proud of my heritage. And though my roots and culture are more a mixture of my Irish side and Jamaican Caribbean specifically, I know that I'm part of the African diaspora. By recognizing this, it helps me honor my history and culture and acknowledge other people's history and culture. And that's why I prefer the term black or brown for myself and, um, That's typically the term I'll use, because even though I'm connected to my culture and I was raised with that culture, with a mixture of cultures, of course, but also I was given the opportunity to um, have that connection. There are many people who don't have that connection. And if we're getting really technical, there shouldn't even be any black folks with African ancestry in the Caribbean, that is a result of slave trade, um, runaway slave 
slaves, forgotten slaves, things like that. But that that's just to give you an example of why I personally don't use the term African American. When I personally think of and everyone's different, I'm not like a talking head for an entire culture or anything like that. But like, I was always raised and set like told like, this is a Caribbean black Afro Latino family like this, this is who we are. This is our how we identify. Um, Because in my mind, African American is someone who is connected to their African roots, or they are maybe first generation African or a couple generations in African and but they have like a family member who originated from Africa to the point where they have the African heritage in their cultural representation. So if you look at someone who was taken from their culture and then prosecuted because of their culture, if they celebrated it or tried to remember it or speak the language, then that's going to be forgotten over the generation. So the only background that that person will have is they'll be considered black. They know what it's like to be a black person existing in America specifically. And so that's why you hear lots of things like Afro Latino, Caribbean black, black and African American. So I just wanted to that's a really brief overview. uh, And it's very, very layered and nuanced. But I wanted to kind of give that background. So that going into more talk about Kwanzaa and where it comes from makes sense as to why it's so important and why it was celebrated the way it was. So Kwanzaa actually comes from the Swahili word, quote, first, end quote, it's inspired from the harvest season in Africa. But because Africa is a literal continent, no one can say it's like, oh, this is, you know, African culture related to harvest because there's so many portions of Africa that are harvested completely different ways. So specifically, I guess this, um, the person that used it was focusing more on Swahili and West and Southeast African um, crop gathering and the culture behind that. So when this is supposed to commemorate when the first crops were gathered and it lasts a week from December December 26th through January 1st. This is a time for families to gather together. They give gifts to each other. They share and partake in this in these feasts and they light candle. This part, I already have goosebumps. This part, they light candles to honor their ancestors. And I think that's so beautiful. And that's supposed to instill hope for the future. I'm already tearing up a little bit. <laughs> Are we surprised? Are we surprised at all? Um, so how did this start? Um, so it started in 1966 in the U.S. There is a huge historic rebellion, especially, I mean, it was all across the U.S., but especially in Watts neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. So there was a lot of uh, abuse from people in power, um, a lot of police brutality, a lot of poverty. Being impoverished and being Black is also often put together. And I just wanted to note that there are many different classes to different Black folks. And it doesn't mean that if someone's Black, it means they're impoverished or came from an impoverished background at all. That's often conflated with each other. But in the Watts neighborhood specifically, in the lower class 
and below poverty line groups, there were there was a lot of intersectionality between black people and being impoverished and not having the resources that is necessary for human life. And of course, there was lots of oppression. And so this led to protests and riots. And weeks after this rebellion, there was an activist named Maulonga Karenga in the Black Power Movement that wanted to promote and inspire pride in Black history and ancestry. He said, and quote, a holiday for African Americans to honor their African roots and reaffirm their cultural connections, end quote. And see, this is a perfect example of someone else who uses the term African American to describe what you know, to to identify with versus me who I use Caribbean black to describe myself. And so it's very, it's a very nuanced conversation. So it was originally considered a secular or alternative Christmas because an alternative to Christmas, but it's not necessarily like taking the place of it. So just for instance, there are non-Christian black folks that were often pushed to celebrate um, Christmas or become Christian in, as, even like as early as their first step onto U.S. soil in the form of slavery, they were often pushed to be Christian. And so there are non-Christian Black folks who are pushed to celebrate, even if it's not their religion. Then on the flip side, there are tons and tons of Christian Black folks who often would see a whitewashed Christmas. Instead of it being biblically accurate, they would see depictions of a white Christ slash nativity scene. So this was created to start a tradition of a new holiday, and it's considered Pan-African. And so it's this Pan-African, meaning all of incorporating as much of Africa as possible or different particular cultures if the person is it does have knowledge of where their ancestors come from um it's really interesting too I know when I took um my DNA test um it was really I found a lot of really cool stuff and then I deep dove into ancestry oh my god I'm still I'm still in the trenches of ancestry I found so much shit out about my roots. It was eye-opening. It was touching. It was angry. It was, I had all of the feelings. I still have all of the feelings, but it was, it was interesting. What was interesting to me is that my black roots, I mean, obviously it's not going to say Jamaican because technically only indigenous people should live in Jamaica or they were, they were the original folks. So everybody else who's not indigenous would come from somewhere else, whatever that is. Their their ancestral line comes from somewhere else. Mine comes from, I'm taking a look at it again. A large portion from Nigeria. There's also the Ivory Coast in Ghana, Senegal, and the indigenous Bantu peoples. And that's just to give an example of I'm, I'm a very mixed person and my experience is very unique to myself, but that's just to give you um, an example of like, yes, I have a lot of Caribbean black pride. I am very proud of my heritage. I am very intrigued by all the mixtures heritage within my blood. And at the same time, getting those DNA results to show who knows how long ago what parts of Africa my ancestors came from was really interesting. But this is, that's why 
Kwanzaa was used as a way to have like a pan-African set of cultural symbols and practices, and it promotes family, community, and culture. So now many people, if not most people, celebrate Kwanzaa as well as with their religious holidays or winter season traditions, because it's not meant to take the place of or push other things out. It can very easily be used as almost like an added tradition on top of the other holidays or non-holidays that that person takes part in. So how is it celebrated? This part was really cool to hear about. Okay, so there's tons of symbolism and a ceremony. So you have a table and it's decorated with a straw mat and it has fruit. There are lots of fruits and vegetables to symbolize the labor and harvest. There's corn represents children and a candle holder that shows the shared African heritage that everyone has. So there's a black candle at the center three red candles on the left to represent blood of your ancestors. Then there are three green candles on the right, and that's said to represent earth and the connection of humans to earth, life, and promise of the future. Each day a candle is lit and the person reflects on the seven principles of Kwanzaa. So here's how the candle lighting ceremony goes each day. So the seven principles of Kwanzaa or in Swahili, the Nguzo Saba, on, are these different things. So on December 26th, there's meditation, and you meditate on unity, umoja, self-determination, kujichagulia, collective work and responsibility, ujima, cooperative economics, ujama, purpose, nia, creativity, kumba, faith, imani. That's really cool because um, I remember having a college friend named Imani, and it's neat to know that her name means faith in Swahili. It begins with the elder filling the unity cup with wine or juice, and some is poured on the earth for your ancestors. An elder drinks from the cup and passes it around for everyone to drink from that cup. There's a joining and chanting Harambi seven times. It's Swahili for let's pull together. On day one, the black candle at the center is lit, and then the remaining days, you alternate between red on the left and green on the right. So the order represents, one, the people come first, the black candle, red, so the struggle and the blood of the people that got you here, and then, and then green, which is the hope from that struggle. So people come first, then the struggle, then the hope from the struggle. On day six, it's the pen ultimate day. It's Karamu, and that means the banquet. So there's music, dancing, feasting, rejoicing, and renewing commitments for personal growth in the year that's coming. And children get small gifts, which I think is really fun. It's still a way to recognize strength, community, and hope um, for past, present, and the future. And I think that's such a beautiful sentiment to have, to be able to recognize family members, ancestors, little ones, because they're the future, and then the future of what it all holds together, and renewing that sense of faith and unity and community. I think that's really beautiful, and a way to recognize 
black honor and black pride and black excellence as well. And I think it's neat too, because it's something that people can use as like a way to commemorate things, but also it's it it's very symbolic. And that doesn't mean that other people can't have their own ways of celebrating or their own traditions that they make that is unique to them. And I think it shows there's like an empowerment here of how it shows that it's okay if someone came up with it recently, the sentiment behind it and the symbolism and the intentional nature of it is what makes it strong and powerful and um, widely recognized and accepted. And I think that's a really cool part of Black history, um, as well as current history for Black folks. It's also said that like, if um, like adorning yourself with red, black, and green can be really helpful too because if someone doesn't know what their ancestral roots are tied to and the traditional dress of that region, they can use the symbolism of the black, the red, and the green to be able to dress in that way to show respect and to also symbolize the three things that I just keep going back to of the people come first, then the struggle, then the hope from the struggle. And that process of the generational trauma and also the process of the generational pride and hope is also really important. So I just thought this was a really cool holiday. Um, I didn't realize that it was on the newer side, but the sentiments behind it are not new. They're nothing new. They're just like a streamlined way to celebrate uh, shared history and sometimes shared trauma and shared grief and shared pride. It's very, very layered and beautiful celebration. So I hope that everyone's winter is going okay so far. And um, it's definitely snowing (laughs) where I am. It's really pretty and sparkly. Um, Sometimes I get like this urge to find more colorful things though, because it can get kind of monotone. So reading about this and sharing it with you has been really cool. um, Because I'm able to see like, how this kind of prepares for the new year. um, And how to have like faith and hope for the new year. And I think that's a beautiful sentiment. I hope that you are doing all right. And um, I totally am fighting the urge to make a dad joke right now of like, and I will talk to you next year. <laughs> As if I haven't heard that a million times already. So I'm just gonna say and I will talk to you next week. Um, May 2023 be a beautiful year for you. And I hope that it's a wonderful one because you definitely deserve it. You definitely deserve that um, to have a happy, healthy, full next year. So cheers to you, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks to all you spooky souls out there for listening to Creepycore and Folklore. Follow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok if you're looking for more uncanny content. If you have your own tales to tell, you can email creepycoreandfolklore at gmail.com. If you liked this, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, or tell a friend who might enjoy these stories to spread the word. If you're interested in dark fantasy, check out my Hollowverse series. Ashes is available now in paperback and ebook on Amazon and audiobook on Audible. 
and the sequel is underway. I'm Iona Wayland, and I'll see you next time.